squash that. Now, as we jump back into our series, looking at relationship, not rules, we come to the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You see, it's here that we discover that it really is about a relationship with the Redeemer. It's not about rules. And we see that the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, our vertical relationship. And the next six commandments are the horizontal relationship, our relationship with one another. And so often people get the first two commandments confused because they're so similar that people think they're the same. You shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make any idols. But you see, there is a difference there because the first has to do this idea of not having any gods before me with putting things in the place and the priority and giving our love and our loyalty to things other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The second of making images is worshiping the right God in the wrong way where you and I try to create images to to point to God, but they fall so far short of who He really is. You see, the Israelites had this problematic relationship with God, this on and off again relationship, and we see the same thing in our society today because today very few of us are really completely committed to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, as, as you come to Christ, Is it your first response or your last resort? You see, for many of us, it's this casual relationship with Christ where I can kind of take or leave God depending on how things are going in my life. But what we discover here in the first commandment is a call for, for all of our life. God doesn't just want a part of our hearts. He doesn't just want a piece of your life. He wants all of you. And the question that we're going to have to ask ourselves today is, am I all in? God, do you really have my heart? Or have I just given you a sliver of my life? Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. And we're going to read the first couple of verses there where we get to see the grace of God, where God gives his people a second chance Remember last week we saw the breaking of the Ten Commandments, not only spiritually but physically as Moses threw them down. But we're going to see God re-giving those commandments to his people in the grace of God. And then we're going to jump back over to Exodus chapter 20 and we're going to see the first command. Exodus 34, then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets that you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. Isn't that amazing, the grace of God? So often we somehow seem to miss the incredible grace of God, especially in the Old Testament. God could have said, hey, I gave you the commandments. You broke them. You're done. But what did God do? Moses, come up on the mountain again. If you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you have a gracious God because you have a God of second chances. And some of you, you have so messed up your lives. It's, it's like the Ten Commandments. They are broken at the foot of the mountain. And your life is in pieces today. And you feel like, man, God's not going to want me. 
Let me tell you, God would love nothing more than to gather up the broken pieces of your life and to not just put you back together, but to walk with you through all of your life. Turn with me back over to Exodus chapter 20. And we're just going to go ahead and read the first three verses there. Exodus 20, then God gave the people all of these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt and the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. Do you notice that that starts with a proclamation? God here starts by stating the reality of who he is. I am the Lord. Now why does God start with a proclamation? Because so often we forget who he really is. We forget who it is that's calling us into this relationship with him. You see, for centuries, scientists and philosophers have tried to explain the existence of God. But what's fascinating, as you go through the Bible, God doesn't try to explain his existence. He just states it. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. And what he says to us here is, I am the Lord. You and I as we come into this relationship, at the front end, we need to recognize this proclamation of who he really is. But here's the question. How do you know God's real? Have you ever, maybe you don't want to put your hand up, have you ever pondered that question? Have you ever had that time in your life where you're like, is this really real? Is this faith or is it just a fairy tale? How do you know that this isn't just a fairy tale? Look at creation. You see, this morning you got up and you got in your car and you drove over here. And what did you drive through? God's creation. Here's what it says in Psalm 19.1. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, the way that you and I can know the invisible God is through his visible creation. Everything that has been made that you and I see bears the mark of the maker. And that includes you. That includes me. Now, there are some of you guys, you've got some tools in your tool chest, and they happen to say Made in America or USA. And you know that there's a certain quality to those tools in that steel. Now, some of you have some tools in your chest, and maybe they're stamped by another country. Well, we'll just keep unnamed for a moment. And you go, those quality. But have you ever stopped to think about your life and the life of people around you? Stamped, made by God. But how many of us look at that other country? Yeah, maiden. And that's how we treat one another, right? Like, like with just some cheap tool that is, that is made to be substandard. But let me tell you something. God doesn't make junk. And every single one of us is stamped made by the maker. You are made by God in the image of God. 
And I want you to think this week in the way that you treat the people around you. Are you treating them like tools or are you going to treat them like a treasure? You see, here's the thing. No matter how you look at creation, whether it's with the naked eye, whether it's through a microscope or a telescope, you see that creation cries out to its creator. There is a God. You and I can look through a microscope and we can get down onto a cellular level. We can look at one single little cell. Do you realize there is more going on in one single human cell? More intricacy, more complexity than one of our man-made cities today. Think about one of our cities with all of the thousands of people hustling and bustling around. Think of the miles of cable passing information back and forth. Think about all the cars. You can even take all the little rats scurrying around in the dark, right, in those cities. And it doesn't compare to the complexity of a single human cell. You see, even on a cellular level, when we get that small, we see the bigness of God. But what about if we trade in our microscope for a telescope and we look to the heavens? What do we see? We see the grandeur of God. And not just because the heavens are big, but we see the vastness of His creation. Do you realize that light travels at 186,000 miles per second? It's mind-boggling. Just to give you a comparison, the space shuttle, our fastest spaceship, 17,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second, 17,000 miles per second. And yet, even with that, it still takes light 8 minutes and 40 seconds to reach Earth. Within a matter of hours, that light has left our solar system. In order to reach the closest star to us, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, it would take four years. And that is one star among billions of stars in our galaxy. And that is one galaxy among billions of galaxies in the universe. Do you see the vastness of God? And yet, what do people do today? Oh, it's just by chance. Time and chance, evolution, it just kind of evolved. There was a big bang and it all showed up. And we're buying into this and calling it intellect today. And yet there is the mark of the maker on everything from a cellular level all the way up to a solar level. Now I got this watch with me today. And it's kind of interesting to me. We, we look at all of creation and we say time and chance. And then we look at something simple like this watch and we go, pretty obvious there was a designer and a creator, right? No, no one's going to argue there was a designer and a creator for something as simple as this. Now, let me, let me just ask you. If, if I asked you which inspired you more, what, what you were more awe-inspired by, this watch or the Rocky Mountains, I think every one of us would say, it's definitely not your watch, Pastor. I mean, it's a nice timepiece, but the mountains are pretty magnificent. And yet, what do we do? Well, it's obvious there was a designer and a creator for your watch, but the mountains, time and chance. Really? Look at your home for a second. You know, there's two things I realize about my home. There was an architect and there was a builder. Someone drew up some plans. That didn't just happen by chance, right? You're not just here by chance. You are not just some random part of evolution that got spit out and thrown out onto this planet. You are thought of by God. 
And God intricately put you together and He has given you passions and He has given you abilities. He has given you time and treasures and talents. And here's the thing, you and I, like creation, we get to cry out, there is a Creator. But you see, it's not just creation that cries out, it is also the conscience. Because I don't care how far back you want to go in history, I don't care how far around the planet you want to go, you will find a consistency among human beings, and that is that they all have worshipped something. Isn't that an amazing thought that one of the things that connects every single race, every single tribe, every single language, all the way back to the dawn of mankind, no matter where you go in the world, no matter what civilization you look at, they are all craving one thing, I want to worship the Creator. Why? Because God has placed within our human heart, every single human heart, a desire to connect with the Creator. Psalm 53.1 says, only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see, there are people who call themselves evolutionists today or atheists today. And they want to deny the existence of God. But here's the reality, they still worship something. They've just replaced God with something else. And many of them are proponents of protecting the planet. Environmentalists, which that's not a bad thing. We are called to manage the planet, right? We're going to be called into account for how we have handled God's creation. But you see, they look at it and they're like the people that Paul talked about when he says that they worship creation and not the creator. See, they're worshiping the world, not the one who made the world. And there are people today that are looking to astrology for answers. They're looking to horoscopes to try to get direction in their life. There are some people who are looking to a movie star. There are some people today who are looking to a rock star. There are people today who are looking to a sports star. Why? Because they've forgotten about the bright and morning star, Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. This is not a head problem. It's a heart problem. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see, today we think we have a mental problem, but we have a moral problem in our country. The reality is that we have rejected God. We used to be a nation under God, and now we are offended by God. We used to see Him as a priority, and and now He has become a problem. But we've got to get out of our society. Sometimes when I go and I eat out at a restaurant... After the meal, I'm pretty full. And, and it's always interesting. The waiter or waitress always wants to see if you want to tag on dessert, right? And it's always tempting, but you know when you're full, you can't do that. And so you wave off the waiter or the waitress. And, and here's the thing. You're not denying the existence of desserts. You're just simply saying no to them. And there are many people today, they're not really denying the existence of a deity. They're not denying the existence of God. What they're doing is they're saying no to God. You see, there's a lot of people today, they don't so much have a problem with God. They have a problem being accountable to God. They don't really want to be in a real relationship because here's what happens when you get in a real relationship and it's not religion. You're accountable to God. Right? My wife and I are in this intimate relationship. We're accountable to one another, right? 
That, that means that, that my eyes are going to be for her and hers are going to be for me. Do you see how all of a sudden it means I'm going to say no to some other things? But, but here's what most of us do. It's easier just to say no to God than to say no to those other things. You see, atheism is a religion. Make no mistake, it is a religion. It's a belief system. And your belief will affect your behavior. But here's what you need to understand about the religion of atheism. It has never healed a broken heart. It has never brought hope to a hurting heart. And it has never wiped the tears away from a torn up heart. You see, it never really touches the heart. It's all right here. It's just about the head. And then we die. And they get all dressed up and lay in a casket with supposedly no place to go. And we're supposed to look like the fools because we are called followers of Jesus Christ. I don't think so. I don't want to live my life just touching people's heads and never touching their hearts. Never bringing the hope of the gospel into homes. Never being able to wipe away the tears with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and then ending up dying, getting all dressed up and laying in the casket and really having nowhere to go, supposedly. See, there's a reason that God starts with the proclamation, I am the Lord. Because at some point in your life, you have to deal with God. Every single one of your other relationships revolves around your relationship with God. But here's what I love about Scripture. Do you notice here he doesn't just say, I am the Lord. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Do you see it's not just a proclamation, church. It is personal. And so many of us leave it as this proclamation. And we have this distant relationship with the deity because we've never said, you are the Lord, my God. You see, the Ten Commandments are not a system for salvation. They're not going to save you. Let me ask a question. How many of you have ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? And the rest of you are lying. And therefore, we all have one thing in common in this room today. We're all lawbreakers. But here's what we do as lawbreakers. We just look for bigger lawbreakers. Well, I'm not as big a lawbreaker as that guy. But you see, at some point, we've got to look in the mirror and we've got to come face to face with our sin. Here's two things that the Ten Commandments do. They're not a system to salvation. They do two things. They point out our greatest problem, which is sin. And secondly, they point out the solution, which is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because only the Lord Jesus Christ lived out the law, the whole letter of the law. He didn't leave out one little piece of the law. And here's the amazing part. He didn't just live out the law then he laid down his life for you and I. You see, Jesus could have lived out the law and then looked at us and said, now measure up, try harder. But he didn't say try harder, he said trust, trust in me. There is no way to come to the Father except through me. You see, here's the reality. Jesus Christ lived out the law and he laid down his life wise so that we could live life and live it abundantly. And so I want to know right now, I I want you to ask yourself this question, is the Lord my God? Is it personal for you? Has there been a point in your life where you have come face to face with the reality that you have broken one of those Ten Commandments, that you are not perfect, 
that you have failed when it came to the letter of the law. But you see, Jesus Christ didn't fail when it came to the letter of the law. Have you admitted that you're a sinner and cried out for Jesus Christ to save you? Because if you have, this is not just a proclamation, I am the Lord. This is a personal proclamation for each and every one of you. I am the Lord, your God. Do you know God today? I'm not talking about knowing about God. You see, there's a difference between knowing him and knowing about him. I know about the current president, but I don't know the current president. You see the difference there? And many of you, you know about God, but you don't really know God. And the only way to know him is through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. Do you know God today? David said this, Psalm 23, we love to quote it, The Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is the shepherd. He said the Lord is my shepherd. And those are both Old Testament passages. It is personal. And here's the thing. If it is a personal proclamation for you today, then you have a personal responsibility to pronounce that to creation, to cry out to the world, I know my creator, Jesus Christ. Are you sharing publicly your testimony, the testimony of truth? Because I'm going to tell you the world world is speaking the false gospel today. And there are a lot of people around that are crying out and they're saying there is no God and you know different and we're, we're upset about it but not enough to, to, to actually live out a testimony of truth. You see, if it is a personal proclamation then it really becomes number three about His presence. And what I love here is God says, I'm the one that came and rescued you out of Egypt. I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. Do you realize that God wants to show up not just in the good times of your life, but in the groaning times of your life? God wants to be your God not just in the pleasurable moments, but in the painful moments of our life. But here's what most of us have done in American Christianity today. Unless everything's going good, God can't be my God. And the moment that we go through some painful experience, we automatically think, well, God can't love me. Look, God loves you enough to show up to the prison and to break you out. And not just to break you out, to bring you out. And to bring you out so that you are separate from the world, so that you're not living under the system of Egypt, under a system of slavery, back in the slave market of sin. He wants to set you free. And the reality is that that what we do today is we go through these painful times and we're like, that's it, this is Christianity, I'm done with God. Do you only want God to walk with you in the good times? Some of you right now, you're going through incredibly painful things in your life. Let me tell you this. It is the presence of God that you need to cry out to. Because peace is not the absence of problems. It is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder today, what is driving our prayer lives? Is it our problems or is it His presence? Because I want my prayer life to be fueled by the presence of God, not the problems of this life. Because when my life, my prayer life becomes fueled only by the problems, I am only going to communicate with the Creator when things go bad. But as long as things are good, I don't need God. I don't need prayer. Because my prayer life is driven by problems and I don't have any problems. So what do you have to talk to God about? Nothing. Because the only thing that you've made it about is your problems. That's not a relationship. That's using God. And if you use God, you will use all the other people around you in your relationships. 
And I want to encourage you, don't fuel your prayer life with your problems. Fuel it with God's presence. Because we're in danger today of becoming people who are looking for a feel-good instead of finding God. And I'm going to tell you, you will never find a feel-good until you find God. But we have so made in the American church the goal, feeling good. It is not feeling good, church. It is finding God. We cannot miss the purpose of why we're on this planet. Our purpose is not programs. It is the presence of God. Our purpose is introducing people into the presence of God. Now, there are times where there are programs that can help bring people into the presence of God. But let me tell you something. The power is not in a program. The power is in the presence of God. And you and I can so quickly fall back into a formula. It's not a formula. It is following God with all of our hearts. And when we fall into that formula, we substitute His presence for programs. And I've been in churches where, where in America where, man, we got all kinds of programs. And I'm like, yeah, but where's the presence of Jesus? What are the point of programs without the presence? That's not where the power is. That's what we're being told today. Go to AA and it's a program. Without the presence of God, there will be no change in your life. If you take away Christ, there will be no change. And so I want to encourage you. Make it about His presence. There's a story told about a young man who comes to his pastor and he says to his pastor, Pastor, you know that I love you and I really appreciate your sermons, but here's the deal. I'm quitting the church and this is my last Sunday. can't stand the church anymore. The pastor says, well, can you explain what, what can't you stand? And he says, well, it's the people. He says, you know, I look around during these powerful sermons and, and there's kids sleeping. There's old people that, that, that are sleeping. There, there's other people that are texting. He says, I look around and there's my neighbor and he's praising through every song and I know he's going to rip someone off on Monday. He's a hypocrite. I'm tired of being around all these hypocritical people. He says, so I'm just going to quit the church. And the pastor says, well, you say you love me. Would you do one thing for me before you quit? And it's going to sound strange, but I just want you to trust me. I'm going to go get a glass and I'm going to fill it all the way to the brim full of water. And what I want you to do is I want you to walk around sanctuary two times and I don't want you to spill a single drop of that water. And the guy's like, is that even biblical? He's like, just trust me for a moment. And so he comes and he hands him this glass and he takes his water and he fills it. And I mean, almost overflowing, clear to the brim. I mean, one misstep and this thing's going to spill. He says, okay, two times around the sanctuary. And this guy starts off and he's, he's really focused in on his glass now. And he makes the first lap and he doesn't spill a single drop. The pastor says, good job, just one more to go. And then you can quit the church. And he makes one more lap and he gets back and he goes, pastor, I did it, I did it. And the pastor says, I just got a couple quick questions. He says, did you see the kids that were sleeping? Well, no, I was focused on that glass. Did you see the people who were texting? No, I was busy focused in on that glass. Did you see your hypocritical neighbor? I had forgotten all about my hypocritical neighbor. Here's the thing, church. It's time for us to stop focusing on the people and to start focusing on his presence because the real hypocrite that comes to church is the hypocrite that comes and we are so distracted by all the people and all the problems because we've missed the presence. We're not here for each other right now for this moment. We're here to encourage one another, but here's the thing. We are here to worship God. And there has to come a moment in our lives where we, 
we tune in, where we, where we see it to where, man, I can't spill one little drop and I'm so focused on the Father and following the Father that I don't see what everyone else is doing. Stop judging everybody around you. Stop basing your Christian walk on what everyone else is doing. It is not based on other people. It is based on the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you make it about the presence, number four, you will see protection. And I love this. God shows up to the prisons of our past. He shows up in the prisons of our present and He frees us. So that you and I can live these free lives. So that we don't have to be, go back to the, to the sin market and get stuck in our past and our pain. But how many of us do that? You see, it says here that God is a jealous God, and we immediately get confused with that because we're like, we know our human jealousy is never good. But why is that? Because the focus is on self. But you see, God's jealousy is focused on service. He's not jealous for himself. He's jealous for you because he doesn't want you to experience anything less than his full, perfect, and pleasing plan. He doesn't want you to fall short of that. And so he is going to jealously protect his plan for your life. You see, his jealousy is not about his protection. It's about your protection. But how many of us today have bought into this false sense of, of freedom? And we don't even know what freedom is in this nation anymore. We, we seem to think that freedom is getting to do whatever you want, whenever you want. No, people that actually understand freedom are people that serve and sacrifice and give their lives. But that's not our form of freedom today. Because today we don't have a service form of freedom. We have a selfish form of freedom where it's all about me. And so we're like people who go cut the rudder off the boat. Don't tell me what direction we're going in. And so we cut off the rudder of righteousness in our lives. And we think we're now free to go wherever we want. By the way, that also includes onto the rocks and getting shipwrecked. And some of you today, you are shipwrecked by sin because you've cut off the rudder of righteousness. And you're like, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's not about God's will anymore. It's about my wants. But you see, here's the amazing thing. The rudder of righteousness doesn't just provide direction, it provides protection. You see, it allows you and I to sail around the storms of sin instead of getting sucked in. And how many of us are stuck in a storm of sin today because we've cut off the red of righteousness because we think, I'm going to go do what I want to do. Let me tell you what happens when you cut off the red of righteousness. You now are susceptible to the currents of the sea. You get carried along by the currents of the culture. Let me ask you, who's in charge of your life, the culture or Jesus Christ? Because without that rudder of direction or uh, righteousness, there is no direction and there is no protection in our life. You see, we end up living for society instead of for the Savior. And society will always suck you back into a storm of sin. It's here, lastly, that we see the priority. What is the priority of your life? You shall have no other gods before me. Is God your main priority, your number one priority? Or is he just a part of your priority? You know, the Hebrew language is a beautiful language because it gives us so many word pictures. And this, this word before me is the word picture of a man taking a second wife 
while his first wife is still alive. And what he's throwing in her face is, my love and my loyalty for you is no longer exclusively for you. I'm going to share you with someone else. Can you imagine, how would you have responded this morning if I had announced at the front end of the sermon, hey, we got some really exciting news, Uh, I'm getting a second wife. Can Can you imagine how my wife, Angel, would feel? But honey, it'll work out. It's okay. Here's the thing. I'm going to be your husband on Mondays and possibly Wednesdays. If you're really good, maybe on the weekend too. I don't know. I mean, you're still going to get most of my love. Isn't it amazing how we justify that with God? And yet when we say it out loud in that context, and that's the biblical context here, all of a sudden we realize, man, we're giving our love and our loyalty to other things. In essence, we're prostituting ourselves to other gods. Why would we do that? This is exactly what destroyed the nation of Israel under King Solomon. Solomon later in his life, after he had built the temple, this is what's so amazing, guys. David raised him and taught him to love the Lord and to put the Lord first. And David had sin issues sexually in his life. But he finally came clean and dealt with those things and dealt with the consequences of choosing something other than than Christ. But he spent his life accumulating every resource needed to build the temple. And he handed all of that on to his son. I mean, he handed him the baton of righteousness and he said, son, just run after Jesus as hard as you can. And you know what Solomon did for a while? But he made a couple of critical mistakes in his life. He made it about his want and not about God's will. Let me read that to you. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8. Solomon loved many foreign women. Beside Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab and Ammon and Eden and Sidon and from the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to other gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway and he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. In fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. And then it says, Solomon built such shrines for all of his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. You see, Solomon decided to manage his own life. And his nation. And he came up with his plan versus God's presence. And here was his plan. I'm going to fall back on a political plan. Because if I marry all these other women, Pharaoh's not going to attack me. His daughter's living in my, in my temple, in my palace. And so he, he was managing life through a political process instead of resting on the presence of God. Are we any different as a nation today? We have so, even in the church, man, we're thinking the answer is the, is the next president. It, it's some new policy. It's some new politics. Let me tell you, politics have not changed people. It is the presence and the power of God that changes people. And what's sad here is Solomon saw marriage as a means to an end. Some of you today, your marriages are a mess. It is absolutely miserable. You know why? Because you see it as a means to an end, to get your way instead of God's will. Do you realize that your marriage is one of the greatest mirrors 
to reflect the glory of God to a watching world. Because our marriage, Angel and I's marriage, we get to reflect the faithfulness of God when we're faithful to one another. We get to reflect forgiveness when we choose, because we're not perfect people. News alert. And, And we mess up at times, and we've got to forgive, right? When we choose to love one another and lavish that love, and that's an unconditional love that isn't saying, well, I love you, wife, if you do these things, or husband, if you act in a certain way. It's an unconditional kind of love. We are modeling to the world. We are mirroring the image of God. We are reflecting His glory. And many of us today, instead of mirroring the image of God, we're making marriage a means to an end, my end. And then we wonder why we have a miserable marriage. You see, here's the reality. Solomon tolerated other gods. And later in his life, he treasured those gods. He took the treasures of God and he started to build these shrines so that all of these wives, think about that, 700 wives, how much money was spent worshiping foreign gods? How much of our time, treasure, and talents are we wasting not on the truth of the true God, but on trash? on garbage gods that are not really real, that are never really going to satisfy our lives. You see, the truth of the matter is that Solomon, in his old age, later in his life, walked away from God. If you read your Bible, most of the men and women that faltered in their faith did so in the latter part of their lives. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Let me tell you something, maturity does not equate to immunity. We've got to constantly be chasing after Christ. We've got to be constantly cultivating that relationship. Church, please don't coast in your relationship with Christ. Because if you're coasting, you're going backwards. The things you tolerate today will be the things that you treasure tomorrow. Solomon should have said, we're getting all of that out of here. We will not tolerate this trash. Let me ask you, what trash are you tolerating in your home today? What what gods are you bringing in, maybe for a feel-good, maybe your way of managing life like Solomon? Here's the reality. We are either going to be sold out for Jesus Christ or sell out Jesus Christ. Are you sold out or are you selling out today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for how you speak to us. Father, thank you for the grace of the giving of the commandments because we need to be able to see that we're sinners, but we need to be able to see that we need a Savior. And many of us today, without the commandments, we think we're good enough, but we're not. We need the righteousness of your Son. And Father, I thank you for that robe of righteousness that you give to us that is not based on our work, it is based on your finished work. But would you help us not to trash that robe of righteousness, not to cast it aside for some false freedom where we get to do what we want, when we want. Father, help us to understand it is that robe of righteousness that not only provides direction but protection in our lives. I pray for those that are getting baptized right now and Father, I just ask that that you would protect them. We know the enemy wants to come against them and we know that stepping out in faith and being obedient to what you've called us to do 
and stepping off of the sidelines and onto the field of play causes the enemy to get worried. And so I pray right now for protection. And God, I just ask that as a church family that we could celebrate today the work that you're doing in people's lives as they step up. And we know that baptism doesn't save us. It is a symbol of our salvation. It, it, it points to what has already happened, that we have been buried with Christ and raised to new life. And so, Father, we're celebrating that with a symbol today. And I pray that you would help us to be excited as we celebrate. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. Those of you that are getting baptized, if you just want to come up here and uh, we'll get the microphone ready and then you guys can share your testimonies. Bear with me through the nerves and the coughs. Um, My name is Vanessa. I moved here a year ago. I moved here as a first-year teacher, first year as adult life. Um, Within the first month, the first question I got from some of my coworkers was, what church do you go to? And I've never been a person that went to church every Sunday. And when I said I didn't have one, I was told, oh, you should come with us. And... And I was hesitant, and um, Amy Plummer, she told me that it was like every sermon was written for you. And in that moment, I did not believe her. I was like, how is it that he could be talking to you every time? And so I went to my first service, and after I had no words at first, and I looked at her and I said, how? How can it be that he was talking to me? And she just looked at me and said, I told you. (laughs) And in that moment, I felt a connection with God that I did not want to let go. Um, Since then, I did Bible Basic. And in the moment through Bible Basic that I wanted more, I met a few women that asked me to do a Bible study with them. And in that moment, I felt that it was like, God leading me in the direction that he wanted me to go. And today I surrender to God. And in Matthew 19, verse 26, it says, With God, all things are possible. And I am ready to see what is possible with God God guiding me through my life. If you confess Jesus Christ as your only Savior, come say. Do you confess Christ as your Savior? I do. Okay. 
Then it's our privilege to baptize you, Kevin, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to be buried with Christ and raised to the newness of life. special things about getting to do baptisms is having, uh, whether it's a life group that is involved or a dad, and uh, you have an incredible responsibility as a dad spiritually, and so this is an incredible privilege for your dad to be able to baptize you, okay? Then, and if you accepted Jesus as your Savior, okay, I'm going to have you cover your mouth. And we're just going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be buried with Christ and raised the newness of life. Mm-hmm. Give me that Give me that a hug. So, when I was eight years old, I uh, went to VBS and um, placed my faith in Jesus Christ as to be my personal Lord and Savior, and um, just wanted to share what God's been doing in the last six months of my life. Um, for a long time, I didn't, uh, I didn't choose to follow Christ uh, right away. And um, I was baptized with a bunch of my siblings, and I didn't actually make it my own choice um, to follow Christ. And uh, I guess God really got a hold of my heart this about six months ago. I, uh, I was diagnosed with a colitis, and... Um, a lot of things come out of this deal, and one of them is uh, it makes you really worry about things and uh, very suicidal. And 
It was not a place that I wanted to be. Not a, and I knew that uh, I wanted to come back to Christ and that I knew that he was the only way that I was going to get through it. And um, I came very close to uh, basically killing myself. And um, I just... Uh, um, it was very, it was a very hard time. I hit like the, the most rock bottom of my life, and then I realized that uh, that Jesus Christ died, and He loved me, and He gave His life for each and every one of us, and that it was it's our choice to come to Him, and uh, so I just. Uh, I want to thank Jesus Christ because he's the only reason I'm here in front of you guys all today. Um, he saved my life. And uh, a couple of verses that have been on my heart lately is uh, Psalms 119.9. How can a young person keep his way pure by keeping according to God's word? And uh, verse 11, that same chapter says, I've hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against God. So, just uh, just want to thank Jesus Christ for saving my life. Devin, it's a privilege to get to do life with you. And uh, these couple guys, part of Devin's uh, discipleship group, core group of men, just encouraging him. And so it is our privilege to baptize you. Devin, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, I have. It's our privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ and raised to new life. I just want to pray as we close our service, and it is an awesome thing, isn't it, to see people uh, making a commitment and to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So let's just pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for a time where we can celebrate what you are doing. And God, I just pray right now, uh, again, for those that uh, have taken that step of obedience, that God, you would protect them this week. Help us as a church family to be praying for them. And Father, I do pray that we would be people who give all of our life, all of our love, and all of our loyalty to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.